please turn with me in your Bibles to Psalm 77. And for those of you that are using those black pew Bibles, this psalm can be found on page 457. Psalm 77 is a song, and this is a teaching series called The Songs of Our Savior, meaning these songs were sung by Jesus Christ. They are songs that are ultimately about Jesus Christ. So I'd like to use a song lyric. Hope for many of you that this song lyric is familiar and therefore you will get right from the start. The takeaway from Psalm 77. Turn your eyes upon Jesus. Look full in his wonderful face. And the things of earth will grow strangely dim in the light of his glory and grace. I believe Psalm 77 exists to help us forget our pain as we remember his power. Therefore, my prayer and my hope is that as we turn our eyes upon Christ, we gaze and look in his wonderful face. The things of earth, specifically our pain personally, our pain corporately, our pain cosmically will grow strangely dim in the light of his glory and his grace. My hope to accomplish this goal is to read through the psalm three times with the following outline and game plan. Reading number one, let's think about the psalm individually, personally, about my pain and enter your name, your story, into the psalm. Reading number two, let's read this psalm thinking about our collective corporate pain. And then finally, let's conclude the sermon, reading it a third time, remembering and thinking about his pain for us. Reading number one, please follow along. To the choir master, according to Jeduthun, a psalm of Asaph. I cry aloud to God, aloud to God, and he will hear me. In the day of my trouble, I seek the Lord. In the night, my hand is stretched out without wearying. My soul refuses to be comforted. When I remember God, I moan. When I meditate, my spirit faints. Selah. You hold my eyelids open. I am so troubled that I cannot speak. I consider the days of old, the years long ago. I said, let me remember my song in the night. Let me meditate in my heart. Then my spirit made a diligent search. Will the Lord spurn forever? 
and never again be favorable? Has his steadfast love forever ceased? Are his promises at an end for all time? Has God forgotten to be gracious? Has he in anger shut up his compassion? Selah. And then I said, I will appeal to this, to the years of the right hand of the Most High. I will remember the deeds of the Lord. Yes, I will remember your wonders of old. I will ponder all your work and meditate on your mighty deeds. Your way, O God, is holy. What God is great like our God? You're the God who works wonders. You have made known your might among the peoples. With your arm redeemed your people, the children of Jacob and Joseph, Selah. When the waters saw you, O God, when the waters saw you, they were afraid. Indeed, the deep trembled. The clouds poured out water. The skies gave forth thunder. Your arrows flashed on every side. The crash of your thunder was in the whirlwind. Your lightnings lighted up the world. The earth trembled and shook. Your way was through the sea. Your path through the great waters. Yet your footprints were unseen. You led your people like a flock by the hand of Moses and Aaron. This is the word of the Lord. And God's people said, thanks be to God. We'll have two more practices. We'll get better. Point one, Psalm 77 exists in order for you to forget your personal pain as you remember his mighty power. This is just a simple, basic observation, and it's actually a really great way to read the Bible. And so we'll start with some basics. Everyone, look down at the Bible text with me and notice the repetition of the word, I. I cry aloud to God, verse 1. In the day of my trouble, I seek. In the night, my hand is stretched out. My soul, I remember, I moan, I meditate, my spirit, and it goes on. And it goes on and finally shifts, I believe, at verse 13. Because as you see clearly in verse 10, 11, and 12, I, 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 I. And then something happens. Your way, O God. What God is great like our God? You are the God who works wonders. You have made known your might. You with your arm redeemed your people. And it goes on. A basic, simple, immediate observation is that this psalm exists to guide us into self-forgetfulness. To be melted by the marveling at the majesty of God. I believe this is a great, simple exercise for you, practically. Take the Psalms and insert in your name and deeply meditate about your individual life. And see if your personal journey does not take you to the glorious grandeur of God. That is one of the goals, I believe, of reading the Psalms in this personal way. Clearly, Asaph was a real human being. He personally, I think, was experiencing these problems. So let's look at a few of these details and see, has this ever happened to you? 
Have you ever cried to God? As David mentioned recently in his Psalm 74 sermon, well-known quote about laments, crying is human. If the answer was, have you ever cried? The answer is, yes, I have. Have you ever cried out loud to God? Crying is human. Lamenting is Christian. Pouring out the deep cries of the heart with confidence that God will hear you is how verse 1 begins. And he is in a day of deep distress and he is seeking the Lord. And this is the point where you might think, oh, sounds like every other psalm. But it's not. Emphatically, it's not. This is a weird psalm. It's a hard psalm. It's hard to really even apply and at times interpret. But follow carefully the logic here of the opening stanza. In the day of trouble, I seek the Lord. In the night, my hand is stretched out, most likely thinking of like, I'm stretching out in prayer. I am reaching for heaven and I am weary. My soul, I'm telling my soul, like Psalm 42 and 43 says, soul, hope in God. Soul, I'm talking to you. Find comfort in God. And the answer is no. To put it another way, have you ever been to church and been like, yeah, that didn't work? What do you do when worship doesn't work? Have you ever read your Bible and thought, huh, nothing? I got nothing. I got burdens, read my Bible, prayed. It's what the pastor told me to do. Nothing. That's Asaph. When I remember God, everything got all better. Incorrect. When I meditated, my spirit soared to the heavens. Verse 3 is telling us that it's almost as if worship made it worse. Going to church and seeing all of the other people around you and it seems like, why is God blessing them and not me? Or being reminded of God's goodness when it seems like right now God is anything but good. When I remember God, I am actually moaning more. When I'm meditating, my spirit is fainting. Selah. You have to keep my eyelids open. That's one way to read it. I think the better way to read it in verse 4 is, you are keeping my eyelids open. Translation, do you all know what it's saying? I can't sleep. These circumstances that you, God, have allowed are causing me restless nights. Insomnia is the psalmist's personal experience. I'm so troubled, I've got nothing else to say. He began crying by verse 4. He's silent. Precisely because of what appears to be God's severe silence. Look at the way in verse 5, he's saying, I've considered the days of old. I'm looking back at old photos. I heard of a story this week just about this idea. Uh, a professor at Yale had lost, tragically, a young son of his. And so he wrote in his book about this grief that him and his wife would look back at old family photos. And they would say to one another, yeah, that's when we used to be happy. Anybody know that personal pain? Yeah, I look back, those were good days. 
Those days are not now. I said, let me remember my song in the night. Let me meditate in my heart. And then my spirit made a diligent search. I'm going to get to more in point two about this song. And I believe we can have good ideas as to specifically what song he is singing. But notice the repeated questions in verses 7, 8, and 9. God, really? Are you going to reject, spurn forever? Are you ever going to show us favor? Your hesed, steadfast love, it seems like it's dried up and ceased. And your promises, I thought they were eternal, but they seem temporary. Seems to me like, God, you have forgotten what it means to be gracious, and in your anger shut up your compassion. This is word for word, right down the line, Exodus 34 that Christy came and read for us previously. The great, glorious moment in the history of Israel when God appears to Moses and tells everyone exactly and precisely who he is. And the psalmist takes that text of all texts and says, no, you're not, no, you're not, no, you're not, no, you're not. I told you, this is a different kind of psalm. He's angry because of God's anger. And to complicate matters further, I think that your footnote in verse 10 is actually the better translation of a very, very difficult text to translate. And if you read down at the very little print of your Bible, you should see under number three, at least in the ESV Bible, or you could translate verse 10. This is my grief. The right hand of the Most High has changed. The immutable, unchanging, constant, unswerving promises of God They've changed. That's my grief. That's my beef. And so then, you have a repetition in 11 and 12 of what you already heard that he was doing previously in verses 4 to 6. Or 3 to 6, more precisely. Remembering, remembering, pondering, and meditating. And that's where the psalm shifts. I would like to just acknowledge for some of you that there is space in the biblical literature and there is space in the history of the Christian church for Christians, believers of God, Old Testament, New Testament, old, ancient, new, modern. There is space for you to struggle. It is extremely important for each and every one of you to very personally apply this aspect of the psalm to realize this is not just any ordinary dude. This guy has memorized his Bible. How do we know? Well, he just quoted it three or four verses in a row, but except he's saying that God's not those things. He's struggling. He knows his Bible. Do we have a guy that's just given up on church? No. Notice the repetition of, I meditated, I meditated, I remembered, I worshipped. Asaph is a Christian church leader. He is involved in the worship of God in the Old Testament. And in this way, you need to remember that it's not as if 
These troubles are the direct result of his disobedience. Now, another sermon for another day might address that God will at times bring in fatherly, lovingly discipline to your life because of your disobedience. In Asaph's case, individually, I think it's best to read this as he personally is so distraught because of the gap between his personal present experience and faithfulness to God and God's appearing lack of faithfulness in his life. And if you've ever experienced that, where you're like, I'm trying to repent of everything, Pastor Phil. I'm serious about applying to God's word. James chapter 5, confess your sins, call the elders, pray over them, and he will bring healing and You're doing everything you possibly can. So remember the reality of this pain. It's a personal human in human history. And as we think about this, we need to realize that the reason this psalm exists is to help each and every one of us to be guided in what is a mysterious journey. I don't have formulas For when the meditation eventually turns to marvel, we're not told. All we're told is that even after the questions, he kept meditating. He didn't give up. He kept coming to church. He kept reading his Bible. He kept praying every morning and evening. He's holding his hands out as he can't sleep all night long. He didn't give up on God. Remember verse 1. He's not just crying, he's crying to God. So I want to strongly urge you to apply this to your personal pain, and I want to ask, are you just crying, or have you learned the practice of crying to God? Personally, quietly, individually, in your prayer closet, and I think you have biblical grounds to be as raw and as real as you need to be. It's not like he doesn't already know. So, I think the psalmist is teaching us, persevere. Don't don't grow weary in your personal commitment to prayer, fasting, worship, fellowship, community group, scripture reading, accountability. The solution is not out there. The solution is when one finally gazes and marvels and you see his glory and his grace, everything just kind of grows strangely dim. For any of you skeptics in the room, for any of you that are struggling right now, this is not just a biblical idea, although this is, I think, the, the high point of marveling is transcendent worship of the creator God. But we have testimony after testimony of astronauts going into space and the moment that they're able to turn back with their eyes, Christian, non-Christian, they see that blue sphere. And it's as if all their personal problems melt away. There's actually a name for this, and I should have looked it up, but there's a name for this experience of awe and euphoria where empathy just rises to the soul and a heart starts 
longing with love for that small little sphere and all of the human problems that are going on in it. If that happens, whether in space or in the cinema when you're watching a movie or binging on Netflix, which it does, there's a reason these things make millions and billions of dollars. You were made for awe and wonder. And the greatest gift you could receive is not just a fleeting momentary view of a skyline, a mountain, but the King of Kings, the Lord of Lords, the one who created it all and holds it in his hand. In fact, let me point out this one specific personal detail of our psalm. Verse 1 says, I cry, and then the word aloud is kol, K-O-L in Hebrew. It's the word that means thunder, voice, sound, depending on context. So, I am thundering in my cries to God. I am thundering to God, and he will hear me. And guess what? He did. Conveniently, as the psalm gives way to the marveling of God's majesty, look at verse 18. The same exact word appears, but this time it's not in the personal, self-centered section of the psalm. It is in the section about God's glory. The coal, the thunder, the crash of your thunder was in the whirlwind, and your lightning lighted up the world, and the earth trembled and shook. God will match whatever your pain is with incredibly greater power than you could ever dream or imagine. So don't give up, friends. Personally, commit yourself to the personal, regular, ordinary disciplines of Scripture, prayer, of church membership, of meeting together regularly. I can't tell you when. I can't tell you why. I have limited knowledge, especially as a human, but I can tell you he will meet you. Point two. Let's read the psalm again, and now let's think corporately. I want us to think corporately, not just about us as a people, I want to think corporately because I'm convinced that Psalm 77 is really not, at the end of the day, a personal psalm of one man's personal problems. I believe that as you read this, I would like you to listen to the whole psalm again. And remember the little end, thanks be to God. As I read the psalm again, I would like you to start imagining Asaph as an individual church leader, praying on behalf of all the people, not just on behalf of himself. I actually think this is the main gist of the psalm. To the choir master, according to Jeduthun, a psalm of Asaph, I cry aloud to God, aloud to God, and he will hear me. In the day of my trouble, our trouble, I seek the Lord, in the night, my hand is stretched out without wearying, and my soul refuses to be comforted. When I remember God, I moan. When I meditate, my spirit faints, Selah. You hold my eyelids open. I am so troubled that I cannot speak. I consider the days of old, the years long ago. I said, let me remember my song in the night. Let me meditate in my heart. And then 
My spirit made a diligent search. Will the Lord spurn forever and never again be favorable? Has his steadfast love forever ceased? Are his promises at an end for all time? Has God forgotten to be gracious? Has he in anger shut up his compassion? Selah. This is my grief, that the right hand of the Most High has changed. I will remember the deeds of the Lord. Yes, I will remember your wonders of old. I will ponder all your work and meditate on your mighty deeds. Your way, O God, is holy. What God is great like our God. You're the God who works wonders. You've made known your might among the peoples. You, with your arm, redeemed your people, the children of Jacob and Joseph, Selah. When the water saw you, O God, when the water saw you, they were afraid. Indeed, the deep trembled. The clouds poured out water. The skies gave forth thunder. Your arrows flashed on every side. The crash of your thunder was in the whirlwind. Your lightnings lighted up the world. The earth trembled and shook. Your way was through the sea, your path through the great waters. Yet your footprints were unseen. You led your people like a flock by the hand of Moses and Aaron. And this is the word of the Lord. Amen. My hope and prayer for you is that you will learn to read the Bible not just as an individual and always about your personal issues. I did point one because I think your personal issues are real and I think your personal issues can find help in scripture. But I believe it would be a disservice for me to say, we don't know what's going on in Asaph's life, we don't know what the pains that he's struggling with are, and you just fill in the blank with whatever's going on in your life. I think we do know. Psalm 74 has so many different similarities, especially those series of questions. Psalm 74 makes it very clear. The temple has been destroyed. Babylon has come in. When he says specifically, look at this text in verse 9, has God forgotten to be gracious? Has he in anger shut up his compassion? Anger. When did we last hear about anger? It's from Psalm 76. And there, in the previous psalm, verse 7 says, but you, you are to be feared. Who can stand before you when your anger is roused? And the answer is no one, not even a stiff-necked, rebellious Israel. Why is it that God has allowed Babylon to come in and take down the temple? Why are the people exiled and deported out of their land? Why does it seem like God's promises are not at play? The answer will come most definitely in our next psalm. Psalm 78 tells you point blank. It's a very long psalm, so you'll have to read it on your own time or come back next week with whatever we're doing with church next week. So read ahead. But here's the cliff notes. The reason I'm angry is because you guys are disobedient. So now repicture the whole psalm. Asaph is praying on behalf and for the corporate collective community of God's people. They are spurning God. They are disobeying his covenant. Therefore, he is being faithful to his promises to say, if you disobey, you will be judged. 
very practically, there might be times where you will experience incredible pain in this church, but it won't be because of your sin, it will be because of the person sitting next to you. There will be times where some of the most severe pain you will experience, parents, is not your individual failings, but the failings of your children. Asaph is not just praying about his personal struggles. He's praying like a priest on behalf of God's people. It's why he's quoting covenant promises, not personal promises. What promises is he referring to when he's questioning, God, have you forgotten your promises? The promises that God made, not to Asaph, specifically, individually, but his people. So I want you to forget yourself as you read the scriptures by realizing that the Bible, although in all of its glory is for you, Psalm 77 was not written about you. It's for you. We're taking, I hope, a lot away from Psalm 77 and more to come in the coming minutes. But we must forget ourselves and our pain by remembering his power for his people collectively. And this corporate reading of scripture and this corporate living out of the Christian life, I think, will set you free from so many small little earthly troubles. For example, what if you learn to lament, not just for you? What if your prayer practices regularly included praying for one another in this church? Reading the scriptures in the morning, not giving up, okay, got it. But then you get to that time of prayer and you're praying for the people that are sitting around you. The corporate people of God. Those that are straying and wandering from the fold and you're Your heart is broken. Your empathy is deep. I believe that's what's really going on in Psalm 77, as Asaph can't sleep at night. It reminds me of recent weeks when sin in this church has caused your pastor not to sleep. God, you have allowed this sin to occur. Keeping my eyes open at night. So, let us be the kind of people that consider others' interests more important than ourselves by regularly reading the Bible in its appropriate context, corporately, collectively. And let's see the journey that this psalm specifically takes, which is just a microcosm of the entire Bible, of God leading us to marvel at his majesty. I mentioned that the psalm flips from the first half. He's crying, but God matches that cry with his loud, thunderous power. Let me show you one more instance of this in verse 2. In the day of trouble, I am seeking the Lord. In the night, my hand is stretched out without wearying. I want you to just follow the theme here of hand. So in verse two, you have your first instance of a hand and it's Asaph's hand. Asaph, I believe, like a priest, as I've mentioned, is praying like this. Like imagine me right now, I'm raised hands and I'm praying with my hands up, not just to heaven, but over the people like a priest. God bless them, 
keep them. My hands are outstretched. Pour out your covenant promises. Be faithful, God. Then look at verse 10. The alternative translation. This is my grief. It's that when I look at your hand, it seems like it's turned against us rather than for us. The right hand is a metaphor for the power and authority and the divine sovereignty of God. Your right hand has sovereignly allowed troubles. I'm in the day of trouble, verse 2 says. And I'm stretching out my hand because of your hand. How does the psalm end? In verse 20. You led your people like a flock. And you did it by hand. God's saving majesty, wondrous, marveling works that melts me are ultimately by a person, a human being. God's mighty hand of leading God's people out of being trapped with imminent death in the exodus, which is what this whole Meditation of verses 13 to 20 is precisely about. Through the waters, through the sea, through the great waters, your people were guided by Moses. God's hand will guide his people through a human hand. So notice, a man is praying. He's praying because he thinks that God's hand has changed, but he's reminded and melted by the way that God has allowed the hand of Moses and Aaron to lead his people out of salvation. Which brings us to our third and final reading of the text and brings us to the conclusion of how to read the Psalms. Who is the person whose hand guides the people of God like a flock? Who is the great shepherd of God's sheep? Is it Moses? Is it Aaron? is the outstretched hands of Asaph. The answer is Jesus Christ is what we should be thinking about as we read this psalm. And as we do so, I want you to think through just a few simple themes that appear as I read the psalm for the third and final time. There is a righteous worshiper, innocent. He has outstretched hands. He is in the dark. It's night. He is making loud cries and pleading with God. And he is doing so because of his people's disobedience and sin. But as the psalm ends, the hand of God through a chosen servant of God will lead God's people through the mighty waters and the waters split. And they don't go around, they don't go over, they don't go under, they go through the waters. Let's read it one more time. This time, marveling at Christ. To the choir master, according to Jeduthun, a psalm of Asaph, I cry aloud to God, aloud to God, and he will hear me. In the day of my trouble, I seek the Lord, 
In the night, my hand is stretched out without wearying. My soul refuses to be comforted. When I remember God, I moan. When I meditate, my spirit faints, Selah. You hold my eyelids open. I am so troubled that I cannot speak. I consider the days of old, the years long ago. I said, let me remember my song in the night. Let me meditate in my heart. Then my spirit made a diligent search. Will the Lord spurn forever and never again be favorable? Has his steadfast love forever ceased? Are his promises at an end for all time? Has God forgotten to be gracious? Has he in anger shut up his compassion? Selah. And then I said, this is my grief, that the hand of the right, the right hand of the Most High has changed. I will remember the deeds of the Lord. Yes, I will remember your wonders of old. I will ponder all your work and meditate on your mighty deeds. Your way, O God, is holy. What God is great like our God. You are the God who works wonders. You have made known your might among the peoples. With your arm redeemed your people, the children of Jacob and Joseph, Selah. When the water saw you, O God, when the water saw you, they were afraid. Indeed, the deep trembled, the clouds poured out water, the skies gave forth thunder. Your arrows flashed on every side. The crash of your thunder was in the whirlwind. Your lightnings lighted up the world. The earth trembled and shook. Your way was through the sea, your path through the great waters, yet your footprints were unseen. You led your people like a flock by the hand of Moses and Aaron, and this is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God that his word has become flesh in the person of Jesus Christ, who is the ultimate innocent sufferer crying loud to God in the night. Think Garden of Gethsemane. Like the high priest that he is, he stretches out his hands, not just in prayer, but to be crucified on a cross. And when there was the opportunity for him to be comforted in his moment of deepest moaning and agony, he recited scripture, meditating day and night on the Torah and not receiving any anesthetics. He moaned, he fainted, and his eyelids eventually closed as he was buried into a grave. Has God forgotten to be gracious? Has his steadfast love ceased? Staring at the stone rolling over the tomb, you might wonder, will the Lord spurn forever and never again be favorable? Maybe he changed his mind, and maybe his right hand has lost its grip. But if you remember the deeds of the Lord and you remember the wonders of old and you ponder at his works and you meditate like Psalm 1 says, day and night on God's law, his mighty deeds, you will come to the conclusion that God's way, it's holy. It's distinct. It's set apart. It's unlike any other way. What God is great like this God the God who has worked wonders on the cross of Christ and made known himself not through the fierce power that's displayed in miracles, but in the fierce power that's displayed by humbling himself to the point 
of death. How many of you are here today because of Christ's self-sacrificial, atoning death on the cross? You have made known your might among the nations and the peoples because your arm redeemed your people. And when the waters saw Jesus Christ, he walked on them. When the waves were flapping on the boat, as the disciples trembled, he silenced them with just a word. The God of thunder is Jesus Christ. But this Christ, like verse 19 says, does not go around. He does not go under. He does not go over. He goes through the sea that kills. The sea is a place of death. That's why the sea is to be feared by all the others. The great deep trembled at God and God alone, but everybody else trembles at the deep. And Jesus Christ did not forget his promises. He, like the shepherd, went through the waters, except these waters, unlike Moses and Aaron, they did not split. They swallowed him up, but he swallowed them. So church, we will have our personal pain melted when we remember his pain for us. We will have our pain melt away when we gaze at his glory and his grace. The things of earth will grow strangely dim. And universe Yes, I'm speaking to the universe. The cosmic powers of the universe have come down into the form of an infant, an innocent, perfect, righteous, spotless lamb, living the perfect life, undeserving of any death. And he died on a cross in our place so that all of us could take him by the hand, his nail-pierced, scarred hands, and go through the waters with him. Brothers and sisters, this is what your baptism is all about. We do not go over, under. We go through the waters. This is how he guides, and this is what you should expect. If you're here today and you're not a Christian, I would encourage you to seriously consider how you deal with pain. I believe with all of my heart, go figure, I'm a pastor, the Bible provides you with the best solution. Personally, your whole family, corporately, cosmically. And he goes right through it. But you have to be willing to take a step of faith and trust him the precise reason you should is because he went through the waters first. So let's come to Jesus at the table, forgetting our pain, forgetting our personal problems, being melted as we remember his power in pain. Would you close in a word of prayer with me? Our Heavenly Father, in the name of your Son, Jesus Christ, our King, our Lord, we pray for the Spirit 
to strengthen weary souls. Oh Lord, I am well aware. Too many of us are weary by the world. Weary about the state of our personal relationships in our life. Weary about the future. Weary about finances. Weary about work. Weary about worship not working. We've tried it. It didn't work. Could you be gentle with these wearying saints on this Lord's day? O Spirit, would you comfort the bruised reed and not break them? Would you fan the flame, the smoldering wax, and not flick them out of existence and snuff out their fire? Gently lead us through these waters to resurrection, glory, and grace. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen.